We're talking here about simplify, the power of simplification and how we can uh, uh, go ahead and break things down and make it easier. We've talked about how many times we make things complicated. I don't have that on, do I? i got to turn that on. Let me get that for a moment. I like to refer to that. It helps me rather than turning around. Uh, the screen back there is too hard for me to see. <laughs> I can actually see it, but it's not as clear as what I like this one to be. So, um, and... Uh, rather than turning around and looking up there. So that's why we, I utilize this particular screen, and to point it out helps me to be a little bit more interactive. That's what I like to do. But, you know, we complicate things on a regular basis. How many of you have already had to dial it back when it came to the holidays and remind yourself the holidays are not supposed to be about perfection? Has anyone, can you identify that and say, you know what, I've had to dial it back a little bit, all right? There was some stress, there was some anxiety, there were some things that was happening when it came to Thanksgiving and the anticipation of Christmas, whether it was preparing the house, preparing the meal, preparing gifts that you're going to give to someone, wanting to make them feel special. You're wanting everything to be perfect. How many of you have worked very hard to make some things perfect, and guess what? It just didn't turn out that way. Yeah? And, and, and yet, and, and your emotion was all wrapped up and around, all right, it being perfect. And, and somehow, some way, we lost focus of what the right priority is supposed to be, right? And it's supposed to be about time with the people. And we've, we've had those discussions, we've talked about it, the Word of God points it out to us, but it's so important for us to understand that we need to simplify even the presentation of the gospel. We need to simplify how we're doing church and, and how we can continue to reach out to people and inspire them uh, to want to be difference makers uh, themselves. So simplify. Now, one of the ways you simplify is that you just break it down and, and make a plan and intention to spend time with the Lord every single day. Say every single day. All right, one of, the, one of the, the core values that we have as a, as a member of Central Assembly of God or being here is that we should be longing for his presence. Now, we long for his presence by spending time in his word and spending time in his prayer. And you know what? There's resources out there that are available for us to be able to use in the form of devotions. I'm telling you about this because I want, to, I want you to understand that you need a regular daily time. If you're depending upon gathering together with the body of Christ once a week, come to a Sunday morning service to get everything you need to be grown up in him you're going to be sorely disappointed all right you might be inspired you might be encouraged from time to time but you won't grow to the place where the lord wants you to grow you need some in your face interaction with some other people who's walking the same way that you're walking and having some challenges and having some overcoming types of times and and in a, a devotional life whether you read a devotion written by somebody else there's thoughts that are provoke that will become provoking to you there's scriptures that are there prayers to pray and it will help you to grow okay this is simple i'm telling you it's simple set aside at least 15 minutes a day. I mean, whatever it is, I'm not telling you that that's the max, all right? But if you're not doing anything, 15 minutes is great. If you're not doing anything, five minutes is great. Hello? Now, I, don't, I don't think I got any people who's going to be condescending in here and look down your nose at somebody. You're, you're spending an hour of time in the, with the Lord, and you're going to look down your nose at somebody who can only spend five minutes, are you? Hello, what kind of church I got here today? We got a life-giving, life-speaking church, right? A church who looks at other people and says, you know what? You start right where you're at. And if this is what you can do, then you do that. But, but guess what? God's going to grow you up. He's going to make you bigger, all right? That's what we got to do. We got to find out where people are at. 
sometimes it's just something simple like that. So take a look. I've left it up there for a long time, all right, for you to take a look at. Look it up on your smartphones. Look it up on your computer. Go to your version Bible and uh, find that devotion, God's Perspective on Money. You're like, money? Why? What, what, what's, why do I want to talk about money? Well, that's going to be kind of one of the next simpler steps we're going to talk about, all right? We've been talking about this, our mission. Our mission is this. Central Assembly exists to lead people into authentic, life-changing relationships with Jesus Christ. How many of you know when that happens, it's going to start to show up in your character? It's going to start to show up in how you treat other people, right? When you, when you do this, when you make this your plan, when you make this your mission, you cannot stay the same. Now listen, I know Billy Graham has sang that song all over, you know, over and over and over again for many years. Anybody know what that altar call song is? Just as I am. How many of you know it's the truth? He receives you just as you are, but he loves you enough not to let you stay that way. Because how many of you know that you were just a mess? As Elena, uh, Elena Gray would say, you're a hot mess, all right? Where's she at? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, it, it's important to understand that without Christ transforming us and, and, and creating and doing the life changing in us, then we can't be inspirational to other people. You might say, I was one of those people that, I, that I, I'm sure a lot of people thought was really probably never going to get saved. And we've got a lot of lifers in here. How many, how many throughout all of your life, as far as you can remember, all right, have, have been living for the Lord and, and trying to do so? Would you raise your hand if you're a lifer in here? Come on, raise your hand, all right? From an early age, you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, all right, right? Hold them up high. I want to see that. Everyone look around. I want you to see that, okay? All right, that's, that's only about half. R- the rest of you, raise your hand if you say, yeah, I wasn't a lifer. I mean, I, I, I had God come in, and he radically transformed and turned some things upside down for me. Amen, all right? Now, put your hands down for a moment. Now, how many of you lifers had to do what I had to do and had to understand that your salvation was not conditional upon the status of your parents or your grandparents' salvation? How many of you had to own it yourself and you can remember that transformation that took place in you? Yeah. You may be a lifer, but guess what? Too many times people try to ride on the coattails, all right, of somebody else in order to get to heaven, all right? I, I, there used to be a song, if you, if you want to get to heaven on roller skates, <laughs> boom, what, what, right? You, you know, I've been redeemed. How many know that song? Read some old, old-timers there, old school. I'm not going to sing it, all right? But you know what? If you try to get to heaven on roller skates, you'll roll right by those pearly gates. That's the way the song goes. All right, you, you have to get a little backdrop with that later on, all right? But anyway, here, here's the deal. We exist to, to lead people into authentic, life-changing relationships with Jesus Christ. And what we've been talking about is identifying the characteristics of what an authentic, life-changing follower actually looks like, all right? So we said this, that grace must be experienced and given. We have to be recipients of the grace, and we have to show grace to other people. Growth is something that ought to be sought out, all right? You can't expect to just grow without feeding and, and, and the nutrition coming into you the way you need to with the Word of God and, and gathering together regularly in our life groups and in our services and in any other types of times that we have our outreach times. These are all just simple things that we do, all right? We depend upon his grace. We go ahead and we, we grow together. We gather together. We use our gifts. Every single one of us. How many ministers in the house today? All of us are ministers, right? That's exactly right. There's 100 ministers, 100 plus ministers, 200 plus ministers. All of us, 100% of us are ministers today, or we're supposed to be. 
Enemy, enemy convinces us that we leave that job up to someone else. Right? So today we're dealing with this. And this is the last one of this particular theme that we're talking about here today. And the, we're talking about these, these five G's. And that is this, that we would be gen- offering generous gifts. Generous gifts. Pastor, if that's why you're talking about us, wants to have a devotional on money, right? Well, it is because, you know, we need to understand something. The world has so distorted the gospel. They have so distorted God's concern for you. What kind of a God would he be if he didn't want to treat us or teach us about the practical things in the world in which we have to live? How many know that there's, there's answers in the Bible for everything that you are going through? You might say, well, there's, there's some things I don't see really dealt with specifically. The way I want. There is in principle every single thing that you need for life. The Bible says this, everything you need for a life of godliness has been provided for you. Love it. Everything I need for a life of godliness, even with regards to finances. Finances are are really important. This Thanksgiving weekend. It's a time in which people have gathered around tables already. And as Pastor Anna said, they're full from the many different meals that they've gathered at and different things, right? And, and, and we, we thank the Lord for what he's provided for us. We thank the Lord for, for safety. And yet in that Thanksgiving, how many of you know that there's some sad times for people as well? There's some sad times. This, and, and somehow in the sad times, how do I give thanks for that? Very horrific event took place in the life of one of my friends and Val's friends from many years past, and that is that. Uh, and so when we actually was able to see this last uh, this spring, and uh, his name is David Smith, a children's pastor down in um, Huntsville, Alabama, went home to be with Jesus. I think only 51, 52 years old. Heart attack just changed everything up. You say, Pastor, why are you sharing that right now? Because in all things, the Bible says to give him thanks. Thanks for his death? No, thanks for his life. Thanks for the hope that he has. Thanks that that God is going to be with his family, be with Jackie, his wife. In this particular time, be with his three children, whom are now grown, and one is going to, last one I think is getting married in January. We, we, we shake our heads and we say, Lord, are, 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 are we really sure that you know what's going on here? I mean, it, it, how, how did all this happen? How does this take place? How many of you know that the enemy is, tries to distort? I'm talking about how he tries to distort God's word. He tries to distort God's purposes and God's plans. The Bible says this. He says, we do not mourn as the rest of the world mourns. For our hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to pray with me for that family right now as that church is gathered together today. And that, that church, it's a great church called The Rock, needs Jesus to just be there by your spirit today. Father, we thank you for the life of David Smith, a man that so many of this congregation does not even know or never even heard of, but you know him by name. And I pray, God, for a fellow brother, and sister, my brother, as far as in the, uh, the pastor of that church, Rusty and Lisa Nelson, who is having to maneuver and having to once again share 
the unadulterated word of God, the uncompromising word of God. The enemy would come and would try to distort. He try to say that you don't care and you don't love. And how could this happen on a particular season and time like this? But, but Lord, we thank you anyway. We thank you because you are greater than every plan that the enemy has. We thank you, Lord, for protection upon Jackie and upon those kids. We thank you, God, for providence. We thank you for a peace that passes all understanding. We thank you, God, for Pastor Rusty and Lisa and as they as they lead their congregation through this very sad and just very terrible time. And yet, it's terrible. And, and how do we get our emotions around? Lord, help us, I pray, to see that things are different from your perspective than what they are from ours. Thank you, Lord, for being with them today. Thank you for this message and this whole subject matter making sense and us getting excited about being participants with you with our finances. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the characteristics of an authentic, life-changing Jesus follower is that you would offer generous gifts. What, you know, what does that mean? I, I want to take you to a, a text here in John chapter 12, verse 1. Turn there if you want to, or just read from the screen if you'd like. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Oops. And why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Wow. Real quickly, I would like to just deal and answer a couple questions here and, and make a couple points concerning the events that are happening here. First question is this, why would Mary give such an extravagant gift? I mean, a year worth of wages. I mean, that, that is pretty extravagant, right? And why would it, and if she chose to do so, why would it upset Judas for her to do that? In this account, we are going to find some of the tale of two hearts. Some of the, it's going to reveal the nature of the heart. And we know a scripture verse that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's another passage that says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How many of you heard those, ver those verses before? All right. Those are important because they are going to reveal the nature of the hearts. First thing I want us to notice here today is that generous givers have an enemy called self. There's some people who don't want to think about enemies. Yeah, you know, I, I don't like to focus on them, all right, at all. People, people who don't like you in, in those things. But, but there's an enemy that is common to us all, and it's called the kingdom of darkness, who's represented the chief lead by Satan himself, all right? And he's got all these imps, and he's got all these individuals that are out there and trying to stop you from being God's agent, from being God's ambassador. I want you to see here, that generous givers, though, people who are givers, now givers of our finances, givers of our time, givers of our resources, all right, 
generosity, all right, notice it begins with the letter G, right? All right, for generous. Selfishness begins with the letter S for Satan, all right? And, and think about it. Generous goes with God for the big G. And there we go. Selfishness is what is equal to Satan, all right? There's an old, ad, old age battle of God being generous and Satan being selfish. Believe it or not, every single one of us, though, have a problem. And it's the same problem. We were born selfish. Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, he's talking about you. <laughs> he's talking about you. You were born that way. You're like, no, not me. Yes, you. <laughs> Consider one of the child's first words after no. <laughs> mine, right? Mine, 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 mine. You can hear it from the other room in a house. An argument that's taking place between siblings or between cousins. Someone, or in the nursery even, at church. Of all places at church, some of your kids will come and will be selfish and will say, Mine with a toy i don't know how it could be being raised in such perfect homes with such perfect parents you being the perfect examples of everything right how could it ever go so wrong let's let that sit in for a minute all right mine is always not always bad it is sometimes descriptive consider this that god himself actually used the word mine as he described the tithe. Now, God's not being selfish, but God's being providential. God's plan, God's system, is that he would promote within us a generosity. He says, you need to understand what is mine, because when you understand what is mine, you will demonstrate trust in me to take care of all of the rest. My mind, mine, 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 that God says, is not like the mine, 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 mine that the world has to say. You see, selfishness promotes, protects, and provides for self. That's what selfishness does. But God, when he says, I want you to bring the tithe in the storehouse that it's mine, all right, he says that because he wants to demonstrate that, that we trust him. And, and if we trust him, that means he will take care of us. Sometimes generosity is disguised. Sometimes people will look generous, but they are generous for all the wrong reasons. There's a story out of Miami, Florida, where there were six royal palm trees that had been vandalized and cut down along a major highway there. And due to the expense involved in replacing them, the Dade County officials had, had pondered and even considered not even replacing them at all. Now, they were 15 feet tall trees that were, that were there, and they were right in the foreground of this beautiful sign, this billboard that was there advertising for Delta. But would you know it, an unknown, unsolicited donor came and made the money available for, to replace those six trees. But rather than putting 15-foot trees there, they put 35-foot trees there. Now, who was the sponsor of those particular trees? None other than the Eastern Skies, the Eastern Airlines. <laughs> Sometimes our generosity has other motives. It's attached to it, does it not? 
But not so with God. I want you to understand this with God. You see, generous givers have an enemy called self, and God doesn't have any self that's concerned in that. Everything he did, he did for you. He gave himself up for you. Goes back to the very first G that we have, grace. He gave. Selfishness tries to take God's place in our lives. I mean, look at, at, at what, what is said here by, by Judas. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. But note in Scripture what is truth says this. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bag, he used to keep, help himself to what was put into it. Can you believe that? Can you believe that Jesus would have someone on his team that was a thief. And the other thing about it is, he knew about it all along. Wow. That's not very good leadership. We might assess, we might think. As followers of Christ, we often think about some of the challenges and the things that God expects for us to do, or so it appears he expects for us to do. And, and you know, you hear people say, and I'm going to say it today, that we must abandon everything and give all that we have for the advancement of the gospel. That when you live each and every day, you should not be living for yourself, but you should be living for his cause, his purpose, his mission. And you might say, I can't do that. It's too hard. Regarding this issue of money, for instance, God is only testing our hearts to see if we can handle money. He's testing to see if we can handle the true riches. I don't know about you, but sometimes I haven't passed the test. I fail miserably. Has there been any, anybody here that's ever complained about how much you had? Well, raise your hand. I want to see this. All right. Anybody ever complained or not been happy about what you had? I said at any point in time. All right. I'm going to span a lifetime for some of you. Is there any point in time where you haven't been happy with what you've got? Raise your hand. Really, look at that. You, just, you see how common that is for us? So many of us recognize that we have been tempted to say to God, who is the provider of all things, you didn't give me enough. For if I had more, I would do something different with it. And God, instead of saying, you know what? I've given you a little. How about you do something with that? 2 Corinthians 9, 7, we see in the scriptures where it says that God loves a cheerful giver. This Greek, or the Greek for cheerful, is the word behind our English word, which means hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. He loves somebody who doesn't worry about the measuring up as far as the, 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 the marks that they need to, to hit, but instead who just gets excited about being generous. There's a difference between people who are generous and people who are not. A generous person gives because, guess what, they don't expect anything in return. A person who's operating underneath the law Gives because they have to. I'm telling you about a better way to give. I'm telling you about a better way that God's going to be bring blessings into your life. 
There's stories, probably that's in this place, that could be told over and over again about how people have experienced the life-giving power that comes to their lives as far as them being generous. Some of you can remember a time in which you didn't practice the principle of tithe. You didn't practice the principle of, of giving uh, uh, and offerings. And you, you didn't ex- practice the principle of, of sacrificial giving. But all of a sudden, something happened to you and you started practicing those principles. And all of a sudden, rather than having less to work with, you had more to work with. And right about the time you had more to work with, the enemy come and he tried to steal it all away again. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, feel like sometimes that was an up and down thing, but, but each and every step along the way, God was just trying to show you, listen, I want you to do, and this is our, our next point here, I want you to become extravagant. Extravagant. Now, extravagant and extravagance needs to be understood clearly because extravagant used in a selfish ways compares what you have with what other people have. And, you know, we know what Judas was thought about things, right? He figured people needed to bring the money in. She needed to bring the money in, right? It wasn't even looking out for self because if she would have sold that, that had been a year's wages. And since he was stealing off the top anyway, he would have had more that would have been able to come to him. And so he had assessed and declared that his needs, his wants, were more important than hers. This perception of or measure of extravagance is when someone has more than you. Their, their car is nicer. Their house is nicer. Their clothes are nicer. They take more vacations. I mean, look at the extravagant way in which they live. A certain neighborhood looks very extravagant until you make enough money and you move into that neighborhood. And now you have to look to the next price range for it to look more extravagant again. Amen? So how do we become extravagant givers? How do we get the right perception when it comes to extravagant? How do we get stop from becoming judgmental towards people whom God has blessed and be excited about what we have within our own hand, within our own purse? We know Judas didn't do it. What he tried to do was pull the attention off of himself. He tried to cause for everybody to to be focused more upon Mary and how foolish she was with how little she had. Isn't it interesting the way the enemy tries to belittle us? Some of us have certain principles when it comes to giving. And we certainly don't want to be squandering the resources the Lord has given to us. But you've heard it said probably by many people before, you know, make sure not to give any money to an alcoholic or, 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 or a drug addict or someone, you know, that's homeless because guess what? They could, they could be without, you know, and be using the things for money for the wrong reasons. How many of you have heard some of those statements before? How many of you know that there's, there's truth to some of those things, right? We don't, we don't want to help to, to keep that, that, that whole thing going on and on. But how many of you know that There was a period in time in your life when the Lord spoke to you and said, you know what? I want you to help that person in a very real way as much as you can to check things out. But guess what? You're not going to be sure as to how this resource gets spent. And he had you step out there. And you're just like, I want to be responsible. Mary's extravagance is used in the right way on the right occasion. In Mark chapter 14, I want you to see what happens here. 
It says this, some of those present, another uh, gospel writer records here, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another. So it wasn't just Judas. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly, and Jesus says this, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Look at that. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. Remember that part. She just did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, whenever or wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Mary gives a generous gift to the Lord by anointing him. And doesn't matter to her that it took a year's savings working and keeping it up. I don't, I don't know how long it takes for you to save up a year's worth of wages and still be able to live. This isn't one year's savings. This is probably multiple years of to, to get to the point where it could equal one year's worth of wages. It's an incredible amount that she's willing to sacrifice, that she's willing to give up. Now, I want you to note here, a side note, Jesus did not set Judas up for this failure, but to pass a test. Jesus was totally aware of who Judas was because two years previously, look at this scripture. Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil, and he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though was one of the twelve was later to betray him. This happened two years prior to the actual betrayal. Someone might say, well, see, Jesus knows how hard it's going to be. God knows how hard it is. He knows how strong my flesh is. He knows how selfish I am. If I am born selfish, then isn't it really unrealistic for him to expect for me to be something different? Is he setting us up to fail by giving us these, these expectations and telling us that something is mine? I would say not so. But instead, I believe he was giving Judas an opportunity to make the right choice. He knew by his forth telling. He knew that, that he could tell what Judas was, was going to do. But listen, God gives us an opportunity to make right choices all along the way. God's not setting us up for failure. He's setting us up to see what kind of a heart that we will let be made within us. What kind of transformation process will be there? Because you cannot look at finances from an earthly perspective and still use it the way that God wants you to. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. Uh, that's, that's quite the list right there. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But look who else will not. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. <laughs> Say, that's what I was. <laughs> That's what I was, but I'm not that any longer, amen? 
And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, the world will never understand this banking principle that God has set up. The world can't get it. You can't even try to explain it to people. They're going to look at you and think that you're crazy when you say, I'm going to give to God first what is his. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, you are crazy because all they have is their selfish nature to respond with. But those of us who are regenerated, those of you who are working to, in order to allow for the Holy Spirit to work in you, I'm giving you the word today so that this, this process can be complete. This, this, this test of your nature that God is working. God doesn't tempt anybody, but he will test us. But you take a test to show how much you learn, to how much you know. He's not setting us up to fail. He's setting us up to prove how successful, how successful that we can be. I don't think there's anybody here today who would ever take money out of the offering bucket as it goes by. I don't think so. I've heard of a church where someone tries to make change. <laughs> But I don't think anybody would take it out. But how many of us, though, think for a moment, whether we take it out or don't put in what we are trusted with, are we not, in one way or another, taking off the top anyway? I don't say that in a judgmental way. I say that in a, in a transforming way. You see, we want to test ourselves and find out the nature of our hearts. It's being seen very clearly what Judas is concerned about. Lining his own pockets, making his own way. When Mary, she doesn't even care how long it took her to save a year's worth of wages. I don't know if it took her... 20 years. How long does it take you to save a year's worth of wages? I say again. A long time. But she says, you know what? It doesn't matter how much sense it doesn't make to everybody else around. This is what I declared he is worth to me. And you say, wow, wow. Why would that be? Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there is a condition of other people who have been transformed and who have been changed. And it's the Macedonians here at church. He says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. This is the people here. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. How many of you say that's a little extravagant? Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Say first to God. We give first to God. The most extravagant gift that we can give God is ourselves. He calls us to be extravagant givers. And, 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 you know, here it says, we, we read this passage already, but it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. I want you to skip right down here to verse number 8. But it says, she did what she could. I'm going to give everybody freedom in this place here today to help you to know that guess what? God doesn't expect you to do more than what you are able but he is wanting to you to know that this, this, this process, this regeneration process that's working in you, this, this thing that's happening, this trust measure that needs to take place happens with your finances as well. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if your treasure is in heaven, then that's where your heart will be. Amen? It will be towards heavenly missional things. I want to tell you, what would it take for God to be impressed with you? What would it take for God to be impressed with your giving? Because in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You look that up and it actually creates a picture that God is spinning around and is, as he likes to see a, joy, a joyful, hilarious giver, God is excited about a people because who understand that he is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He takes great delight in extravagant givers. Jumps up and down and twirls around. It's not the amount that you give, but the attitude with which you give that gets his attention extravagant for you is different than extravagant for somebody else. I'm not trying to put a, a, a lid on it or a measure on it. Listen, you know where God has you to be, but it starts with the tithe. goes to the offerings and then extravagant offerings. Basically, three levels of giving. But I want to tell you something. When you get the first level of giving, you're not going to have any problems with the second levels, all right? Because God will take and give to you what is necessary in order for you to become extravagant in your giving. I want to give you the last, the th last point, and it's this. Generous givers will experience reward. I want the praise team to come, if you would, please. Mark chapter 14, verse 9. I got that out of order there. Let's read this one first. Ephesians 2, 1 and 8. Nope, I'm going to read you 14.9. First, that must not be on the screen. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. How many think that that's kind of a reward? <laughs> that in all of the history books that will ever be written, that this particular account of a woman who was crazy enough to take a year's worth of wages and to pour it upon a man that is doomed to death, wouldn't make much sense. It wouldn't make much sense except that this woman had a reason for her gratefulness. You see, just a couple months previous, this woman's um, brother was dead. <laughs> you know him. His name is Lazarus. And Jesus had brought him back to life. And then Jesus foretells his own death. And just this woman says, guess what? You can't go without being anointed. And we understand from the word there wasn't going to be another time in which, she, in which he would be able to be anointed. This was the burial time, the burial anointing that was going to take place. She just wanted to do it. I don't know about you, but when you think about it, you say, God... I want to become an extravagant giver. What can I do to make you jump up and down, to take attention, to delight in me? I believe it's with the tithe. I believe it's with the offerings. And it's then with those sacrificial offerings. You might say, Pastor, are you just trying to get more money? No, I'm trying to liberate. I'm trying to help the body of Christ understand what can take place and what zone we can move in. Listen, you read and you hear of some churches and some places where, where finances are not a problem. 
You know where that happens with people? It happens with people who have their priorities set straight. Did you know that the 400 taxpayers with the highest reported income give away more than 14% of their income to charities? You might say, wow. Now, that's not with everybody, but the way the averages work. People who have the wealth are the people who understand the principle of giving. And if I could tell you where you could get and how you could have God taking care of you on a whole other level, wouldn't it make you pretty excited? But that's not generous. You don't give to get, but you give and it comes. You give with just because it's the right thing to do. You give out of gratitude about what he has done for you. Mary gave because her brother had been raised from the dead. Now I want you to look around. Are we brothers and sisters in this place today? Talk to me about somebody who's been raised from the dead. Do I have anybody that's been raised from the dead in this place today? Do I have anybody that's been raised from the dead here today? Oh yeah, you say, oh yeah, who is that? You see, as for you, look at your neighbor and say you. You were dead. <laughs> oh, he's, 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 he's really kind of... <laughs> Pulling, throwing a curveball on us. In your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were nature, we were by nature objects of wrath. As you think about that for a moment, I was dead. Something ought to be swelling up within me with this gratitude. If Mary was willing to take a year's worth of wages and to anoint her Savior's feet, the one who raised her dead brother, how much more should we want to take and to bring what God would give to us as a banking system, a banking principle, and bring to him what is his. And then bring in offerings, and then bring in sacrificial offerings. How many of you know that when that happens, that the blessings of God is surely going to flow? It's awesome. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me, if you would, please. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we stand on common ground today. That every single one of us were dead in our transgressions, dead in our sins. But Lord, you have set us free from the curse of sin. In just a moment, Lord, we're going to participate in communion. God, I ask for those to get, I mean, Lord, just, we ask that you would just work in us and help us to position our minds and, and to realize and say, God, our hearts need to come into, into line with what you have accomplished for us. Lord Jesus, we ask you to work in us, to change us, to help us to have your priorities, to have your ways. Come, Holy Spirit.
every head is bowed and every eye is closed and you're in this place today and we asked it earlier but maybe you're saying hey pastor are you really going to ask me to do this are you really going to ask me to be seen I, every head is bowed and every eye is closed maybe, maybe some aren't I, I just want to be truthful with you but, but you know what you're here today and you don't care what anybody's saying and you need for God to come into you and transform you in this area of your, your trust realm as far as the finances are concerned. If that's you, would you lift up your hand and say, I'm reaching out for God to help me and transform me in that. Would you lift up your hand here in this place today? I'm asking God to help me in my finances, to help me to be trusting him in ways that I haven't been able to do that before. God sees that. He sees those hands up all across the sanctuary right now. Yeah. A miracle could take place for you today as you reach up and you cry out to him and you say, Lord, I have need of you to transform my mind, transform the way I think about these things. You can put your hands down. Father, you've seen these hands that went up. You've seen these individuals as being sincere and saying, I need you to do a work in me that I can't do by myself. I'm born selfish. <laughs> the only thing I can look out for is my own needs. But when you come in and transform me, when I realize what you've saved me from, my only reasonable response is to offer, is to offer things for you. Here's what we're going to do to wrap up.